Hey guys, here goes another episode that originally aired on the Orville Universe podcast, but since the Orville Universe podcast no longer exists, we'll be dropping all of the episodes right here on Pandavision before the Season 3 debut, which is now happening in June, apparently. Enjoy. On this episode of the Orville Universe podcast, we are looking back at Orville Season 1. We're talking about what were our favorite episodes, what were our favorite characters, what are the plot lines we loved and did not love, and will Yafit ever not be sleazy? All that right after this ad that we have no control over. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> None whatsoever. Welcome to the Orville Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. I'm Matthew S. Fox. What is up, my friend? It's a good day, man. Um, we kept talking all throughout uh, the podcast so far about how, you know, the thing that happened in Season 3 ties into the thing in Season 7, and so... I'm pretty excited to be able to take a day and uh, look back at this whole season and talk about the themes and really dig into it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're just covering the entire season today, just kind of as a wrap-up. Before we take a little hiatus, uh, before we also tackle season two in in about a month or so, so... Uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, so, uh, let's see. What What are your overall thoughts of season one? A show's first season is almost always the roughest. For sure. And it, it's interesting because I think, especially in Star Trek-type shows, and we keep comparing it to Star Trek, but McFarlane himself has said that's kind of the model he's following. You know, I think Star Trek Next Generation Season 1 is real bad. Uh, Voyager Season 1 is real bad. Um... I think this actually compared to some of those is a very strong first season. Um, in part, I think because, as you and I discussed a couple episodes ago, it's only 12 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, we had a couple episodes we talked about that we didn't love and, and some that felt kind of like filler. But more than anything, it felt like there were very few, you know, monster slash technological problem of the week. It was mostly episodes that were really setting up parts of the world or were exploring really interesting issues or were doing things that I found memorable without, you know, in some ways it made the couple of filler episodes we did get so much more glaring Mm -hmm. because there weren't so many of them. So I I think looking back overall, it it was a very strong season and certainly it it made me really excited for, for season two. Yeah, if this had been the show I was expecting it to be, which is sort of just like a parody of Star Trek, those 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 bad episodes would have not felt... I wouldn't have even noticed them. But because yeah. they set the bar so high with certain episodes, I really uh, had a hard time with those episodes. Um, speaking of, my, my favorite episode of the season was About a Girl. Mm. Yep. I just think it was uh, the most... 
well put together story. Um, it was the uh, it, it definitely I think the most like sort of morally consistent and uh, thoughtful episode, and I really it just it, it actually brought me to uh, close to tears at least when that when that uh, when the female Mocklin stands before the people and and fights for her rights basically and fights for the rights yeah. of the young. And and the fact that they lose at the end, and then their child their child still has to get the sex reassignment surgery. Um, it, it just was a really well done episode, and it, it it's what really made me love this show. And so, that, if I'm going to talk about my favorites, that that would have to be up there. What about you? Did you have a favorite? I I, I think I, it's funny. I when I thought about us picking our favorites, honestly, I figured both of us would pick that ep- that episode because it <laughs> is. In so many ways, I think it is just far and away the best episode that they did. Um, just all the exploration about their child, Topa, and like what will happen to the child. And I, I've said a couple of times on this podcast, but that what I love about science fiction is when I like science fiction that raises questions in new ways and puts a new spin on a question, but where I can watch it with someone and we can walk out and and disagree about what was the episode trying to say or what do we take away from the episode um you know and and i thought about a girl was probably the episode that did that best um and and but though because you've already talked about it i will mention one other that's a favorite and probably for the same reason uh which is man idolatry the last episode of the show yeah um that episode was so rich and so deep um that on my other podcast superhero ethics my uh, podcast partner Jacob and I thought we needed an entire episode just to talk about that, just to talk about the ethics of that of that episode. Um, there was just there was so much going on in it. There was so much to to talk about, to discuss. It touched on a number of different issues. In some ways, it was almost a little frustrating because there were so many things that you wanted from it that it almost could have been a, a four episode arc all by itself. Yeah, um, for sure. But I think it just it. It was a really good way of not only being a self-contained episode, but also of kind of wrapping up a number of the issues that have been coming up. You know, it put a little bit of a, there's still an openness to it, but it somewhat put a wrap-up on the whole will-they-won't-they between um, Ed and Kelly. It it brought to some kind of resolution uh, some of the things that the ship had going been going through uh, with other stuff. I just felt like it was both a really good episode on its own and also a really nice conclusion to season one. Um, and, and especially because, and here's just my little gripe about the direction TV is going these days, there wasn't a cliffhanger. I oh. am getting so sick of television shows that end a season with a cliffhanger. Um, Interesting. I get that it builds drama. I get that it you know gives people something to talk about and get excited about. But it just feels so cliche, especially in the internet age, where people will spend so much time picking everything apart to try and figure it out. Um, I just really like a show that just says, you know, we told a full story in season one, and maybe we'll tell an, uh, another story in the same world season two, but this story is now done. Yeah, I just got, I've been, I've been rewatching TNG, and uh, in watching that, I remember, I'm remembering some things about my childhood, and, uh, <laughs> there's a there's an episode of that that of TNG that it's it's an episode where Data and Lore um, are dealing with a group of independent Borg. I don't know if you remember uh-huh. that episode, uh, but it turns out it was a season finale. And I remember as a child realizing that was the episode that I realized that uh, 
cliffhangers were a thing. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I tuned in the next Friday night or whatever. And it was like a rerun. And I was like, Hey, what, what happened to data and Laura and the Borg? And, and I really, anyway, I, I just, I, I actually can really appreciate a good cliffhanger, but I, but maybe it has become a, uh, trope that is overdone at this point, but I don't mm-hmm. know. I think, I think a big problem with cliffhangers is what kind of cliffhanger they do. Like it has right. to be a believable cliffhanger. It has to be, uh, I don't even know. I can't even break it down, but there's, there's definitely cliffhangers that are just bad that don't leave you with a good taste in your mouth. Don't really leave you caring what happens. In a good way. Like, uh, the biggest offender, I think, is Walking Dead two seasons ago. Are, are you aware of that debacle? I know. I didn't watch it, but I think I've, I, I know little bits of it. it. It was insane. It, it turned out it was, like, somewhat to do with contract disputes. They, yep. they, they ended a season with a bad guy, Negan, bashing the head. He lines up on a bunch of characters in a line. Oh, wait, spoilers for The Walking Dead. Well, that's <laughs> two, the thing. From it's, two years ago. It's it's two years ago, but it's also, there's no spoiler because it doesn't leave, I don't know, it doesn't, uh, to me, a good cliffhanger is something happens, something concrete happens, and then you have to uh, worry about how that will resolve. What they did with Walking Dead, and I, I, it's so bad, I just have to talk about it. Um, they bash some. He he aims his bat at all the heads of the of the heroes lined uh-huh. up in a row, and then he finally, as he lands on, he goes eeny meeny miny mo, and he picks one, but it cuts to a view, a first person view from the person being hit. Oh God! So you, as the audience, get your head beat in. And it is it, and they never reveal who it was, and that's how the season ends. And so it could have been any of the people that were lined up there got their head beat in, but you don't know who it was. And I, it was the most. It was purely to get it talked about on social media. It was like just there, there's no good storytelling. There's no way to tell that story well because you can't build up a character when you kill off a main character. You want to feel that, right? Yeah. So now you've put yourself in a situation where you don't you don't feel it at the end. You just know someone dies. So you end the season guessing who died instead of feeling the loss of one of the main characters. And then right. when the next season starts, you're starting from this place of like, I haven't seen these people in seven months. Oh, that guy's dead, I guess. Yeah, it was I, awful. I think that, that would do it, especially because I think... I think cliffhangers get worse and worse as internet and social media gets more and more prevalent because... The culture of trying so hard to figure it out, and then it becomes, you know, all these secret, uh, you know, uh, set photos, and you know, examining every single tweet that every actor, production person puts on. It just becomes exhausting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that's a really bad way to do a cliffhanger. I think the other thing, and it's, it sounds like this might have been that as well, or but even if not, um, the, the cliffhangers that I also can't stand is where. It's pretty clear that when the writers wrote the cliffhanger, they didn't know the answer yet. Um, yeah, that's that's the biggest and, problem. Ugh. And like to, to me, one of the worst defenders, and we're, we're pretty far away from the Orville, but we'll get back to it yeah. here, um, is the West Wing. Because hmm. uh, at, at the end of season four of West Wing, um, they left it with a cliffhanger of because the, the president's daughter had been kidnapped. Spoilers for the West Wing, uh, a show fifteen years old now. I love that um, show, by the way. But the the president's daughter had been kid- kidnapped, um, 
I think it's season four. It might have been season five. Um, but either, either way, the no, it is season four, yeah. The president's daughter had been kidnapped, and you weren't sure who had done it, but it, it seemed like it was pointing in one particular direction. But it still, there was so much that was unknown. Then, between season four and season five, the main writer left. Aaron Sorkin left. Um, there's a number of reasons why. Um, a new set of writers came in, and they took it in a totally new direction. Um, and so it just felt like everything that had been set up at the end of season four wasn't paid off in season five. Um, that's an extreme example, but I've often had that happen where there's so much buildup, and then it just is it's paid off in kind of a dumb way. Um, my, my apologies to to our good friends, the, the DC the DC on Screen Network, but I feel like especially the DC uh, shows on um, you know like the the Flash and CW. Arrow and. In the, yeah, CW, yeah. I was going to say the WB or UPN. I'm clearly way behind on time. <laughs> um, but they did this all the time, and it just became so frustrating. Um, so, yeah. So, all, all that's to say, one more reason why I think that's one of my favorite episodes. It is very nice to have a resolved story at the end of a season and feel like you feel like you consumed a piece of media that said something, you know? Yeah. Very nice. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, so, on a similar note, um, who, are, who are your favorite characters? Uh, you know what? I think my top has to be Ed. Yeah, and I, and I, I maybe because purely because I connect with him more, but I really like Ed for everything he is and everything he isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- you know, he's the captain. He's the hero in many ways of the story in in in, in a lot of the episodes, but he's also like very much a proud beta male. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's not he, you know he has his problems, but for the most part, and and the, the, he has his problems, but the show treats them as problems, I guess. Uh, yeah. and, and I really like the way they treat Ed. It's just it's just a different view of sort of different view of masculinity and a different view of what a captain should be. And I love that he's not always trying to be the hero. And to me, that kind of makes him the hero. And I I, I like his character a lot. I, I think I think you make some really good points there, especially in that because um, to me I, I kind of feel like if I ever want to kind of really sit down and talk to someone about what toxic masculinity looks like, I think I would use Ed in part because, like you said, he's not the alpha male. He's trying so hard to be a different kind of masculinity, and and so in many ways I think escapes a lot of the tropes of toxic masculinity and presents a really different kind of leadership. But I also like that. I mean, sometimes that's taken so far in another direction as to make the person almost on a pedestal. Um, and, and other than that, but like to give an example, like Newt, Sca- Newt, Newt Scalamander, or Sca- Newt Scamander, thank you, from the new um, Harry Potter movies uh, set in America, I think is a fantastic character because he really shows like what does it look like to have a completely or almost entirely completely free of toxic ideas of masculinity male character. And I'm so glad he exists. But Ed, to me, is something very different, because I can't relate to Newt. Newt is a role model I could reach for, like like Mr. Rogers or someone like that. Right. But but it's still so far away from who I am. Whereas Ed, I think you're right, it, I can see so much of myself in Ed, because I can see myself as someone who doesn't want to be the alpha male, who's happy putting that aside, but still does wrestle with some of these things. Um, and the fact that, um, like, it's not my favorite episode, but one of my favorite plot lines um, is where Ed finds out that Kelly helped his career. And he goes mm-hmm. through a lot of the fairly traditional dumb male jealousy. Uh, not jealousy, but dumb male insecurity. 
and instead of like heroizing it for it, it's pointed out that he's it's dumb, and he realizes it's dumb, and he learns that. Um, and yeah, I just, they're, they're just so much interesting about his character. Um, I think though that my personal favorite is Bordas. Nice, in part because just the ethical quandaries that Bordas raises in so many ways, um, but also because I just, to me, Bordas is the wharf of this show. Oh, for um, sure. He's very much the fish out of water, and he gets to have the fish out of water jokes. But he also de- he doesn't have the sort of like anger and passion that Worf does, and I like that about Worf. But to me, Bordas is an interesting take on it. Whereas Worf has all that passion and anger, Bordas has this incredibly dry sense of humor that I love. Um, you know, and 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 at times, it, it feels like at the beginning of the show, he clearly has no idea what's going on. And you're laughing because you're, you're kind of laughing at him for his confusion. But as the show goes on, I feel like he understands more. He still just thinks so many things about humanity are ridiculous, and so he's going to make fun of them, but still in that very dry humor way. Um, mm, interesting. I don't know if I see that as much, but I think that's, that's, a, that's an interesting take. Because <laughs> to me, he seems like more like he doesn't get the joke Yeah, most of the time. And that the joke's kind of on him. But I, I may be wrong. I don't know. I, I think that's sometimes true. But I think like there's a couple times where like the captain is doing something particularly dumb. And he, he just kind of states it in a very understated way. Um, the, the, the one other thing that I was going to say about Bordis, again, because we're talking about images of masculinity. Um, it's funny. I, I never made this connection until now. But how much a lot of the show that I really like is, is showing a, a bunch of different ideas of, of masculinity. Bordas is sort of the most macho, manly man. He comes from a world where there's no women. Um, mm-hmm. And yet he is so incredibly tender and loving, both towards his partner and towards his child. And But he's never presented as like, oh, that makes him effeminate, or that makes him, you know, that, that, that he, they don't play into a lot of the traditional sort of gay stereotypes that often happen. They just yeah. let him be this, you know, powerful male figure who is also very very open to talking about his emotions with his partner, um, very open to being emotional about his son, uh, his 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 child who who becomes his son. Um, you know, I just it, it's just once again, it's a very interesting portrayal of masculinity in a way that I really resonated with. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's true, and and not to mention in his same sex relationship, there, there's just a lot of interesting things they they can play with about masculinity and femininity and, you know, the the differences of this child who was forced to be changed, like, there's just, and, and not to mention their uh, relationship issues. Bordas has been a super interesting character this yeah. this first season. And that's just first season. I think uh, we get more of that as we go forward into season two. And I'm pretty excited to re-explore those in a more... Um, intentional way like we've been doing on this podcast so definitely we're definitely gonna get get into a lot of that my biggest hope for season two is just that uh and and like honestly some of the problems we noted as we were getting through some of the sort of filler episodes this season that we particularly disliked um Mm -hmm. some of that i'm hoping is something that they realized and in season two they correct for yeah because i think they realized that at least at least as an audience i think we all realized that there were these filler episodes were not didn't have as much thought put into them and maybe in a season 2 they're going to see oh we see when the show worked and when it didn't and i'm hoping that with a season 2 
which I've already seen, but it's kind of hard to, it all kind of blurs together season one and season two. I'm hopeful that these episodes um, don't have as many glaring problems and that we get more consistency in the writing and consistency in the portrayals of all these moral issues. And also just like swinging for the fences, because I feel like so many, some episodes really swing, swung for the fences like mad idolatry and about a girl but then there's certain episodes like uh, a new new dimensions that just yeah. felt like oh this is just a really basic story it, it's a classic next generation we're going to fix this with techno babble kind of mm-hmm. thing that doesn't and then then it, when it is trying to talk about the uh, relational issues between Ed and Kelly they don't do a good job of exploring them they don't really resolve them they just kind of let let him learn a lesson without showing us how he learned a lesson. They they do a lot of that sort of just glossing over things. And it feels a lot more like a sitcom where someone just realizes they were wrong yeah. <laughs> without anything actually having to interrupt their being wrong. I, I, I think that's a good point. I think you're right. I think, and again, I, 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 my memory is that in season two, we get less of those kind of things. And I'm certainly going to be hope, um, be much more eyes wide open as I, as I um, uh, watch it again the second time. And, and part of it, I think it's just be, to me. I think you're right. Part of it is that they learned what works and what doesn't work. Um, I think I, I my if I remember correctly, there were literally just more writers in the writers' room because they had more of a budget um, and they had more of an ability to say, "Hey, we're we're not going to fall apart in two weeks. We're a show that's going to stick around." Um, yeah. The other thing that I that I remember really looking forward to about season two um, is and again, this is kind of a like we hope that they get what works and doesn't work. Is that we get less. That, that at this point we're established that Seth MacFarlane has moved beyond Family Guy and doesn't have to do Family Guy humor anymore. Um, yeah. Cause we, we talked about this a couple of times, and we talked about how Seth MacFarlane, in, in one of his interviews, talked about that you know he does like that humor, and he thinks that that humor is part of his shtick, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, and I disagree with him there, but that his goal with the show originally was to move beyond it, but that he knew that you know to get people on board if the Seth MacFarlane name was going to be a part of what sold the show, then he had to do the Seth MacFarlane shtick. Um, right. And I feel like by the end of this episode, we, we've talked about this before, that that kind of humor and those kind of plot lines faded a lot towards the end. And and I remember my one of my real hopes, I think, of season two is that that we're sort of going to... At this point, Seth MacFarlane is the writer of The Orville. It's not still the guy who brought you Family Guy and Ted. And then, you know... We're probably still going to continue to have more off-color humor because that's, again, I think part of the point of the show is that it's not Star Trek. It's mm-hmm. not no one ever goes to the bathroom and everyone is always sort of perfect and upright and well-spoken. Um, but but that it's not going to be kind of that cringeworthy humor that 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 a lot of the early McFarland stuff is. Yeah, I really I really hope you I hope you're right. I hope that we get a better kind of show or just a more consistent because there's. As we've said, there's a few episodes this season that really hit it out of the park. And there's a lot of kind of like uh, middling to bad sort of just like seem hastily thrown together. Which, as we've talked about, this only had 12 episodes, so y- you kind of expect higher things from it. But I know they, they've got a, and they've got this... When you're putting such a large budget into your effects and all that stuff, like, I really just... Sometimes I watch shows like this and I'm like, how did that make it out of the writer's room? You're going to yeah. go like spend all this budget on actors and effects. And uh, yeah, and that's the thing. They had huge a- actor cameos this season. 
um, ama- the effects look better than most Star Trek has. Um, like it really, really, really great effects. And then we get, you know, sometimes the writing is just like, why didn't you think that through? Why did you leave that? Why did you leave that on the right in the writer's room? I don't understand it. So just hope, just hoping they, they're more thoughtful. Really? Yeah, definitely. Did you have a least favorite character? Hmm. Good question. Least favorite character. Um, I feel like I know who you might say, uh, <laughs> and I might say him too, but, uh, mm. I'm actually going to not say who you, I, we'll get to it, but I think, I think, yeah, I yeah. think I'll surprise you. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I, I'll just say it. I felt, I, I would think you would say Yafit probably, Yeah, but I don't know what you're going to say. Um, let's see. Who is my least? You know, I don't really, hmm. I don't really have a least favorite. Uh, maybe the security officer, Alara. Mm. Um, not so much because I really like the actress a lot, but I feel like they haven't done a very good job telling her story. And she's been problematic on multiple occasions. She's a security officer and she keeps like breaking regulations and not getting punished for it. Um, right. And that, that that one episode was almost unforgivable. Like, just from a writing perspective, she's been particularly bad. And and yes, Yafit as well. Like, he obviously wasn't thought through very well in some times. But I actually like Yafit. <laughs> um, I, like, mm-hmm. I really like the actress who plays Alara, but I think Alara herself, like the, the character, has been one of my least favorites. Yeah, I, I get you. Yafit, I, I thought about Yafit for my, as my least favorite character, and I would say Yafit is... The person, the character who gets my least favorite writing, and for whom I think they've written some of the worst plot lines, and have let him be a really horrible person in some ways that I find kind of unforgivable. But there's also a lot about his character that I really enjoy. Um, first of all, just the um, the kind of a little bit of the the crass sense of humor when it's not done in kind of the sexist ways, but is more just kind of like the the. He has a very working class feel to him in a way that I really appreciate. He does, for sure. Um, he feels like he's not educated in the same way that some of the others are, but he's really kind of the, the crew, like that he didn't necessarily go to Union Academy, that he's the, the, the person who just, you know, got drafted out of high school and worked his way up to his position. Right. Well, also, um, he he's different in multiple ways because he's also just such a different being that yes. the way he relates to the crew provides some interesting insights. I, I do like that a lot. Yeah, and, I, and especially in that the he's so different and so weird that he becomes the source of humor for a lot of the characters. But that the that that also, and I, I think it, it's sort of a fun thing the show does, where it's sort of you. It, the show allows you to have fun laughing along with the characters at the crazy things they can do with with Yafit, and then immediately it's like, wait, wait, actually, why? Are, this is still his bodily integrity. You know, how can we do that? Um, so I like that about him. Um, I think, honestly, my least favorite character is Lamar. Um, and I think it's in part because, and you know, we spent an episode, the episode uh, in which um, Lamar gets promoted to chief engineer, we talked a lot about how that episode really fell flat and didn't seem to work. And I, I think, looking back on it, looking back at him over the entire season, I felt like the writers never really knew what they wanted to do with him. At first, it seemed like they just wanted him to be the comedic partner for Malloy, but then as Malloy's character started developing, his character wasn't really going anywhere. And then they tried to make him the um, 
the guy who just does really stupid things in the social media episode, which him starting it makes sense, but the way he continues it seems like something that just you would never get to be on a starship if you had that kind if you were prone to do those kind of things. Yeah, it was rough. Um, and then later, all of a sudden, we realize he's incredibly intelligent, and he becomes the chief engineer. Um, it just it just felt like they never actually knew who this character was, and so they just kept throwing a new coat of paint on the character. And and I think it's why a lot of my least favorite episodes were the ones that. Well, I shouldn't say that because the social media episode is is one of my favorites. Um, but his role in it just never really felt quite right. And I think um, he's another one who, again, in season two, I'm hoping the writers kind of finally decide who he is and what they want to do with him. Because I... Yeah, yeah Yafit's the one that has my least favorite plot lines and the ones I most want them to change. But he's a compelling character, at least. Lamar's just kind of dull. Like, I just don't... There, there's nothing there that I can... It, it, you know, we talked about how Ed is so relatable and so connectable. Malloy, to me, feels like the exact opposite. I will say Lamar has some of the best humor on the show from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first, when, when people ask me about the Orville and the humor, and they say, "Yeah, I've just heard it's stupid humor," and I'm like, "the the example I always give," and I was like, "No, it's just really relatable." I love in the first episode when he asked the captain if he can bring sodas on the bridge. Yeah, and then in the very last moments during the firefight, he just like reaches under the under his desk and pulls out a soda and takes a big sip of like a big gulp. <laughs> That yeah. is so good. It, it, he really, I really like the actor, and I really like his performance. But yeah, I'm with you on his just sort of, sort of arc uh, is not very good and not very thoughtful. Similar, similar to you know my least favorite. Uh, I think they, you know, the, this show when it's hitting on all cylinders, it's really good. And I think me and you both just have some problems with the writing at times. Like our least, yeah. both of our least favorite characters come down to. The writers just didn't know what to do with them. It's not like, oh, that actor's annoying, you know, or, or anything like that. I really like, I like both those people a lot. It's just really strange sometimes the lack of thought that they put into this, some of the things on season one of this show. And I really hope they realize that the kind of fan base they have. When this came out, this is the show that everyone was like, you've missed Star Trek and you don't like Star Trek Discovery, well, now you've got your Star Trek back. Like, this is, yeah. in many ways, this is Star Trek. And so instead of embracing it as a McFarlane family guy-like show, it's been embraced as a good sci-fi show. And that's mm-hmm. so cool that it was able to kind of make that leap. But I think this season is sort of an artifact of them before they made that leap. And I'm hoping that my memory serves me correctly and that season two is a lot more grounded and a lot more... You know, keep the jokes. I love the jokes. I love that it's different from Star Trek in many ways. Yeah. But take it as seriously as Star Trek, you know? In many ways, I, I wonder if the public reaction to the show, and certainly if my reaction to the show, would have been different if either A, Discovery had never existed, or B, if, Star- if Discovery had been a more traditional Star Trek show. I absolutely think it would have been different. Yeah, I, I used to have very negative feelings about Discovery. I've now I've now gotten to more of a place of, okay, it, it's not the kind of Star Trek that I want, but but some people really like it, and great for them. Um, and I think Orville's a big part of that, because, and I, I, I think I got so hyped about a new Star Trek show, and I was so monumentally disappointed by Discovery. And, and I say that even though I, mean, I think there's some very good parts to Discovery, it just wasn't a Star Trek show. Uh, at least not the way I understand it, that I, 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 I have to say, I think if all of that hadn't happened, 
if if there had been no Discovery, or even more so, if Discovery had been like had felt like a very good Star Trek show, I think I probably would have never given the Orville a try because yeah. I would have been so turned off by the Seth MacFarlane humor idea. And and it's not just that I was thinking about this and going back and I watched some of the original trailers, the ads for it. it it's not just that like. I heard the name Seth MacFarlane, it's that they advertised it very much as that kind of humor. And I think it was only because, actually I remember distinctly, I was talking to Jacob, my uh, the person who was my podcast partner on Superhero Ethics, and I was lamenting, I think it was Jacob, it might have been wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Jacob, I was lamenting the fact that Discovery wasn't the show I wanted it to be. And he said, well, why don't you go check out the Orville? Um, and I thought he was nuts, because everything I saw, Orville looked like it was going to be like you said, a, a Star Trek parody in the Family Guy, you know, kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an interesting experiment to think like, how would the audience reaction have been different, and 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 would they've gone in different directions? Yeah, I think it is very possible that if if Star if 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 Discovery hadn't existed, that this show might have had garnered a fan base because I think that there was just a hunger. There's a hunger out there for a good Star Trek show. And there, yes. there was, but then, but I think that if uh, discovery had been the show that everybody really wanted it to be, or at least the fan, the Star Trek fan base wanted it to be, then I do think the Orville would have failed like just miserably. I, and I think you're totally right. I think it's a really interesting uh, thought experiment. Yeah. Well, any do you have a, any more you want to talk about season one before we uh, bid farewell to our listeners for a couple months? No, I, I think that gives us a pretty good wrap up. You know, I think we we've talked a lot about some of the themes that keep coming up in terms of leadership, um, Star Trek, the Star Trekness of it all. You know, I think is is it, it, in a lot of ways it, it gratified me to hear McFarland name that because I I didn't feel as bad continually uh, comparing it to it. I don't know if you know after I hope five or seven seasons. I'm not saying that I think that you know, the Orville is going to be better than TNG or Voyager or DS9. In many ways, I think that would be a very hard bar to meet. For sure. But I think this is a. I think the first season of Orville sits very well, and maybe even better than the first season of some of those shows. Yeah, it, it, I would it agree. just feel like it, it found its groove a lot faster, um, and became comfortable with itself a lot faster in a way that a lot of first seasons of shows, not even just Star Trek ones, don't ever do. Yeah, I think it, it definitely had better episodes sooner. About a Girl is about as good of an episode of, you know, traditional Trek as you get. Like, it's a really good episode. And I would, I, if I was watching TNG, I'd be like, this is a really good episode. You know, this would yeah. be, be a great thing to tackle. And uh, so, yeah, it, that's only third episode, you know, and, and then they definitely lost their way around the middle, but... Uh, they, they they brought it home, and I'm hopeful for what season two will bring us on this podcast. So, guys, we're again, we're going to take uh, probably a month or two off and come back with season two of The Orville. And then uh, we'll have another little break. Season three of Orville is coming back to Hulu in late 2020. And so we'll be back uh, with to cover that as well. So, super pumped. Uh, let us know if you have any feedback or anything you guys want to hear about. We'll cover it on our early episodes next season. All right. Peace. And just remember, in space, you're always someone's favorite character.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.